Mark 14, 32 to 38. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to the temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now let's take a moment in silence to meditate on the scripture. Father, we do just want to thank you for these moments um, of reflecting on the pressure that the most perfect human being uh, was undergoing there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as we come to this time now to, to, to read and reflect on this scripture, God, we too have um, our own pressure that all of us are under, and so we pray that you would speak to us in the midst of all the pressures that we feel around us and even within us, and so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Under pressure is the name of what we're talking about today, and uh, I can't help but mention uh, the, the, the British uh, singer uh, David Bowie and uh, the British rock band Queen, because they collaborated together on this most famous song in 1981. That's probably ringing in your ears right now if you know this song. Uh, A few lyrics, I'll read those as we're getting started. It says, uh, pressure pushing down on me, pressing down on you, no man ask for. Under pressure, what burns a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on the streets. It's the terror of knowing what the world is about, watching some good friends screaming, let me out. Pray tomorrow gets me higher, pressure on people people on streets, chipping around, kick my brains around the floor. These are the days it never rains but pours. Um, You and I and your friends and everyone in our city and perhaps, yes, globally, we're all under pressure. There's pressure that you face at work. You, You came here today to forget about those pressures that loom tomorrow, Uh, but there are pressures at work. There are expectations at work, expectations that people have on you at work to perform, to produce, to be your best, and yet to look like you're just chill and that nothing's really going on deep inside of you. There's pressure at home to produce, to be, to do, 
to perform. There's uh, pressure within ourselves to not only dream big, but to produce and actually match and meet the goals and dreams that we all have in place on ourselves. Dare I go anymore trying to convince us all that we're under pressure from all sides, around us, inside of us. And uh, if you've ever felt lonely, if you've ever felt abandoned, if you've ever felt misunderstood, if you've ever felt alone, if you've ever wondered, what is all this for? Does it even all matter? If you've ever felt that, thanks for being human. And number two, Jesus can identify with you. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane feeling all of these things, feeling immense pressure. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, speaking of Jesus as the great high priest, reminds us, he says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same temptations that we do, yet he did not sin. Therefore, Like, since all that's true about Jesus, therefore, come boldly to the throne of our gracious God in prayer. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. That's our message today in this little brief sermon here is when you're under pressure, and that's all the time, press into prayer. When you're under pressure, let that catapult you and I into prayer And I want you to do three things that Jesus models here when we uh, go into prayer. One, give God your feelings. Number two, give God your desires. And lastly, give God your trust. What's the, uh, as we get started here, give God your, your feelings. What's our setting here of this story? You're all good readers. You're all academic. You were just reading this uh, together as uh, Lila was just reading it for us. The setting here is Gethsemane, and that's a key word. It's actually a place that we're going to describe here momentarily. But it's describing the setting is really high and really low. You'll remember, um, you'll remember Gethsemane is this urban garden at the foot of, of the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And this is a place where Jesus is undergoing tremendous, agonizing pain in his soul and in his spirit. That is the lowest of lows. And uh, you might be thinking of right now a Gethsemane that you're going through or one that you've gone through or one that you dread happening, that it would be a complete low. And the reason why it's so low is because you've come off a high. I mean, think about the Mount of Olives. You'll you'll remember here uh, regarding Jesus, the Mount of Olives. This is where he visited his best friend, his best friend Lazarus lived on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. Great times had there with that friend. You'll remember Jesus riding his donkey down the Mount of Olives. This is called the triumphal entry. He rides that donkey, and before he gets into Jerusalem, he weeps over Jerusalem. He sees the fallen nature of Jerusalem. He knows the idolatry there, and he longs for these people to be reunited with him. And yet now he comes to this Um, this Gethsemane, this low place of anguish in his soul. Uh, The word here, Gethsemane, means oil press. Oil press. So there's some pressure that's happening here. Uh, There will be something good that takes place because of the pressure. But this means uh, there's an oil press happening here. 
Notice with me in verse 33 that Jesus became deeply troubled and distressed. The gospel writer and physician Luke mentions that he was sweating. Jesus was sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. He's there praying, we read, but another gospel writer says he's sweating drops of blood. This is not a, this is not a parable. This is not hyperbole. It's no exaggeration. Um, it's what doctors call this phenomenon, hematohydrosis. Is that right? It still happens. It can happen. It did happen to Jesus. And a lot of commentators say, humanly speaking, Jesus could have just died on the spot. We know that wasn't God's plan, but as a human being, which Jesus was, uh, he could have just died on the spot. That's the anguish that he was going through physiologically. Verse 34, that Jesus, uh, this heart pounding in his chest while he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And I just want to say something about the global church here at this point, that many in the global church would say um, that spiritual health is those who do not express their feelings. Feelings aren't good. Don't trust feelings. Uh, Yeah, you might want to be emotionally healthy, but don't tell anybody what you're feeling, especially don't tell God. Um, So there's, there's avoiding things like doubt, especially when you come to church. There's avoiding things like pain, especially when you're around your friends. You don't dare want to talk about pain, especially things like loneliness or depression or anxiety. Ooh, we shouldn't talk about those things. Um, And yet, let's just praise God, right? Let's all say the hallelujah, but let's not be honest with what we're really feeling. And I'm asking you this question, what if, what if, Anger, sadness, depression, even lust were emotions where God wants to meet you right there. What would that look like in your life? What if God wants to use the very emotions that are residing within you and sometimes boiling up inside of you, and we see it here with Jesus, what if that's the actual window to which God is wanting to come in and meet you? Yet I believe, and my hypothesis here is that we've been trained to, um, to squelch those things, hide those things, and put on our best face, and we believe that that's where God meets me. As long as I'm doing this and smiling, and everything's okay. And that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what Jesus is modeling for us here. There's a book called The Cry of the Soul, Dan Allender and Trimper Longman, and in the book they say, ignoring our emo- emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where you meet God. Reality is where you meet God. Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, you can't meet God by denying your emotions or just acting as if everything is okay. Pete Scazzaro, the writer of The Emotionally Healthy Church, disciples us here when he says it is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You can have leaders in the church who are great orators. You can have great small group leaders. You can have prayer group leaders. Yet at home, you don't want to be around these people. Or inside their own soul, they are completely a different person. So spiritual maturity isn't just what's being projected on the outside, Pete Scazzaro says. 
You can, Pete Scazzaro says, you can memorize books of the Bible, but be very angry and an arrogant person. See the disconnect there? You, you, you can uh, fast and pray each week uh, for years and be, yet be very judgmental and critical of others. Oh, the beautiful mess that we are. We just sang about it. That mess is you. That mess is me. Um, imagine letting God into those emotions, though. That's my whole point here in point number one, in give God your feelings. Imagine letting God into those places. Uh, someone here recently told me that they were struggling with, with, with lust and, and, and porn and shame. And after listening to this person, I said, invite Jesus into that shame. Invite Jesus into that very shame that you feel about that activity and that pattern and that habit. And their response was, no. Just pray that I get better. And uh, sadly, that's not the answer. The prayer isn't, Lord, help me get better. Help me do better. Help me stop doing this. And I only did it nine times this week. And last week I did it 15 times. It, it's, it's invite Jesus into that feeling. What would that look like for you? Jesus says, my soul is overcome with sorrow and to death. And some people listening to this may, may say, well, why are you guys talking about this part of Jesus? Why aren't you in here just victoriously celebrating Jesus? And part of that is because we're in the season of Lent. Just a little education here. Lent is a 40-day season where we become more and more acutely aware of the sin that lurks within you and within myself and in our culture. We become more aware of that. Isaiah the prophet, chapter 53, tells us that our Savior was a man of sorrows. Why do we talk about grief and sorrow? Because Jesus is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And what we'll see here in a moment here is that even the grief that Jesus is experiencing that would lead to his crucifixion is ultimately going to save the whole world. That's the beauty. That's the design behind the pressing and the under pressure that Jesus and you and I are undergoing. The writer of Hebrews chapter 5 tells us, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears. Do you pray like that? It's not a moment of guilt. It's really a moment of reflection to see Jesus is letting it rip. He's sharing his feelings. He's being human. He's giving you and I the permission and, and the, the liberality to finally say, I don't have it all together. I do experience anxiety, or I do experience depression, or I do struggle with whatever's there. The second thing here is to give your desires to God. See, being pressed squeezes our true desires out. You want to know what's in the orange? Well, we need to either cut it open or we need to actually squeeze it. You look great on the outside, but you and I have had some pretty sour orange juice before. It's not until it's squeezed, seriously, it's not until it's squeezed that we really know what's, what's in there. And what's this story's main action? We talked about its setting. Its main action here is being pressed. That's the main action happening here in this, is there's, there's a pressing going on. 
Not being oppressed for the pressing that God is doing here and is allowing to happen with Jesus and with you is for your good. It's not oppressive. It's not some uh, harsh dictator in the sky somewhere that's causing your life to be bad and lots of suffering going on because God, it's no, rather it's God has good things in store. Uh, So just real quick here, a little bit about olive trees. Just a little bit about olive trees and and olives um, because it's very important. I mean, you, you, you and I need to know this as writers. Def, definitely first century, they would have understood the, the significance here of Gethsemane and its meaning as an oil press. But you and I kind of need to go back and do a real quick uh, lesson here on olive trees and, and olives. Anybody ever picked olives? I, I had the opportunity to do this with a, with a family. And um, a very interesting process. But from the studying, a little bit of studying that I've done about olive trees, is, is that they're firmly rooted I mean, these are uh, these are, are evergreen. It's an evergreen fruit tree that's been cultivated uh, for thousands of years. This is not a new type of tree or plant. Um, it it it's revered for its longevity and the tenacity with which it remains rooted in the ground, thriving despite adversity. It can withstand conditions of frost, drought, poor soil, typically living for about five hundred years. Uh, though there are claims of trees that are even much uh, have lived much longer than that, and this is because an olive tree has strong, hardy roots that have gone down really, really deep, and even deeper still into the soil, and it spreads out wide and long, making the trees really hard to topple. Uh, olives must be pressed in order to get the olive oil. They don't just. Produ- I mean, if you're like me, you love olive oil. Have you ever thought, where does this stuff come from? I mean, where do they get it? How do, how do you make it? It gets pressed. There, there is a very systematic uh, method in which you really get olive oil. Uh, people, people have used olive oil presses since Greeks first began the process over 5,000 years ago. Again, this is nothing new. This has always happened. Get this, from 10 to 35% of an olive is oil. 10 to 35% of it is oil, but you have to press it in order to get it. You can't look at it to get it. You can't hope it turns into it. It must be pressed. Uh, This is done either through using a mill with wood or stones, ouch, or by stomping with one's feet. Extra virgin olive oil comes from the first pressing and the purest of oil uh, with the best taste. So this is a slow process. It's very slow. Olive trees don't produce fruit for six to ten years, they say. What? And immediately, I hope you're making the connection, yeah, it feels like my life. (laughs) Where's the fruit in my life? I've been working at something really hard. I've been attempting with incredible detail and intentionality, but yet where's the fruit? What's going on, God? How about hurry this thing up a little bit? Uh, It takes time in pressing the olives. Uh, it also said that um, only when they're about 20 or 25 years old do they pr- produce a full harvest. <laughs> That's a long time, folks, in your Christian maturity, in you following King Jesus to see dramatic changes in your life. This is a long process. Olive oil is actually fruit juice. The longer the olive ripens, the greater the oil content. Ever been to Sonoma? Ever been to this place called the, the Olive Press? 
It's really a, an actual place called the Olive Press, uh, right here in Sonoma. Award-winning extra virgin olive oil, some of the best in the world that's being made. And their process is that it's hand-picked, and after being washed, the olives and their pits are crushed into, into this paste. You can YouTube this. It's quite interesting. It's crushed into this paste, and then the paste is kneaded for about 45 minutes. There's no quick, quick way to get it. Yeah, that's right. We got someone kneading there. It's a, that's exactly what's going on. The paste is spun at a high speed, and the oil begins to separate from the paste, and the oil naturally settles for one month before it's even bottled. Uh, bottled right here in California, 30 to 35 gallons of olive oil per one ton of olives. This is a long, slow process. Why am I saying all this about olive trees and olives? Well, we just mentioned give your desires to God, right? That's a motive in prayer, what we see being modeled by Jesus here, of giving your desires. What does Jesus say here as his desire? Read it with me. Read it with me. Um, Verse 35 and 36, Jesus fell to the ground and he prays and he asked his father, Abba, which means daddy, like a, a term of endearment and an intimate relationship he has with God, daddy, he says, please take this cup of suffering away from me. That's Jesus's desire. Yes, Jesus' overwhelming desire is to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins, mine, and those of the whole world. Yet in this very moment, as a real human being, he displays his true and honest desires with God. How mature, how awesome, how beautiful this really is of Jesus. I don't want to be separated from you, God the Father. Please stop pressing me in this way. It's a little intense. And you know that moment when we pray like this as well, and Jesus does it here too. If you're God, you can do anything. Jesus prays that. You can do anything. You could take this cup away from me, this cup of suffering away from me. You could do it right now. The suffering that you're going through, the doubt, the confusion that each of us are going through, don't you pray that prayer? I know I do. God, if you're listening, I know you're powerful enough And that's the conundrum theologically that we come to in our understanding as we try to figure ourselves through this whole thing. It's a total conundrum. If God is powerful and could eliminate suffering in my life, why is it still there lurking around, causing havoc? Mystery. Mystery. Jesus gave God his desires. Take this cup of suffering away from me. See, what if you brought, I brought our deepest, not just feelings, but desires to God. And wow, the implications that would have on your feelings of anger, your desire for success, your desire to be known and competent in your place of work and to be respected, Uh, the jealousy that we all face, the anger, the vengeance that some of us want, the critical spirit that some of us deal with, the implications that being able to bring all of your desires in a given moment to God. It's an invitation to, to be real, but also to be present in the moment. Nothing kind of irritates me more than just sort of that cliche comment. Let's just be present in the moment. I mean, it's good, but I like to take it a little bit deeper. Be present in the moment with whatever you're feeling and whatever desires you have going on. 
That's what being present in the moment really is. That's where reality is, and that's where knowing God exists. And Jesus models this for us beautifully. The third thing here is give, give your trust to God. Here's where the story gets personal. We, we mentioned the setting, we mentioned the, the action going on in the story, but here's where the story gets personal. We're all trusting in something when we're under pressure. Everything has a release valve, everything has a pressure valve. My rice cooker, which I love, sometimes it's fun just to watch the little hole there at the very top of the rice cooker just sort of bubble out a little bit of pressure. You and I are trusting in all sorts of things, most of which, dare we say all of which, are incompetent and unqualified to hold us and to lead us forward and to give us any type of identity, true, sustainable joy and identity in our lives. And so God's invitation to me and you is is really to transfer your trust We trust in stuff all day long. We trust in the news we read or not. We trust in all sorts of things. And so the invitation here is for you and I to to transfer that trust. Look, Jesus does it here, verse 35 and 36. Again, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, he's crying out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet. Big word there, yet. Ought to be jumping off the page at you. Italicized. Bold yet, he says, big transition word, I want your will to be done, not mine. Have you come to that point? Do you find yourself at that point multiple times a day? Dear God, the situation I'm going in right now, what I'm feeling right now, my desires in this very given situation, either at home or at work or at my place of hobby or play, is not what I expected. It's not even what I feel like I deserve. Yet I'm going to turn those feelings and desires towards you in prayer. And I'm going to transfer my trust in how I feel like I'm going to figure it out and fix things. I'm going to transfer my trust onto you. And I'm going to learn to pray this prayer. I'm going to learn. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to learn to pray this prayer. Remember last week we talked about the training that goes on in the wilderness, day in and day out, retraining my heart, reshaping my heart, your heart. Yet, I will want your will to be done. See, another way of saying this is not my dreams, Lord Jesus, but your dreams for my life. You gave me the dreams, though. Not my dreams, not my plans, but yours. Another way of saying this, if you're married... You would say, not my will, nor yours, spouse, but God's will for us. Not an argument of who can sell the other one on whose will we ought to follow, or whose plan we ought to follow, who's got the best plan or resources. It's now collectively we. There's unity there, we. And we as a church family, we function in the same way. We are all joined and bound together because of Christ. Uh, Another way to say this is from the heart. I trust you, God. If you're like me, you want information. You love information. Information's power. Information helps me make good decisions, right? You too. 
The difference with trusting God is this. It says from the heart, I trust you, God. Now give me some information if you're so pleased to do so. The opposite of that, which is not trusting God, says if you give me all the information and if I like it and if I agree with it and if you've thought about all the details I have, then and then maybe will I trust you until I have further questions. I'm not beating up on that too much. That's actually most of our normal cadence and rhythm. But God is inviting us to be that real with him. And if we don't feel like we have trust in that given moment, admit it. (laughs) Right? Say, God, I'm not trusting you right now. You see how much more intimate that is than than to say, oh, yeah, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. Hallelujah. I'm trusting God. Rather to say, I don't. I don't, I don't know. God, help me. Help me. And the key word here is, um, would you let the Lord choose for you? Again, think about your week. Maybe on Sundays, you take part of Sundays as the Sabbath. You know, that means rest. Maybe part of your Sabbath in the afternoon sometime is to actually, like, think about last week. Like, re- evaluate last week. Think about last week. Remember, call to mind how God was faithful to you. In all the moments where you are anxious and overwhelmed. So you don't just rush right into next week. Evaluate. Look back. Remember. Call to mind. Then in planning the next week, we're saying, Oh, Lord, help me trust you. Don't let me forget the ways that you are faithful. I'm prone. I most likely will forget. Help me trust you. See, the key word comes down to surrender. Surrender. This is, this is a hard word. It's a hard concept. It's a hard yet very liberating motion of the heart. And surrender is the place where our emotions actually start to get healthy. Crazy as that sounds. My emotions actually begin on a path towards maturity and health when there's surrender. We sang that song, It is well with my soul. And we're not just singing that into a vacuum because guess what? At times, it is not well. Injustice is not well. Racism is not well. Suffering is not well. Cancer, AIDS, it's not well. Anxiety is not well. But God, you, I trust you, yet not what I want, but what you want. Lead on King Jesus. That is well with my soul. Whom else am I going to trust? Whom else am I going to give my life to and follow and bank it all on and trust truly in? Lord Jesus, you're the only one that's competent. Let's pray right there. Father God, we, we, we are those people. Thank you, God, for your good plan to lead Jesus to the Mount of Olives. Yes, indeed.